Father, again, we're so thankful for your tremendous love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that you gave your only son, and he willingly came and paid the penalty for our sins. Thank you. And Father, I thank you that because of Christ and uh, relationship with you, through him we have your spirit, and we can now understand the things freely given to us by you. And I pray that you would help us understand uh, what you intended through your word today, and not simply to know, but then by your power and strength to have a changed heart that does what you desire us to do. We thank you for your word. We commit this time to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are lots of ministries uh, out in churches these days. Uh, If you do a search on the word ministry, you'll find millions and millions of hits about what ministry is. When I was in seminary, I was taught all different ways to quote-unquote minister, different ways to minister in the body of Christ. But sadly, the focus on these different books and things that had Bible verses in them Sadly, the focus wasn't on the scripture, which really reveals how we are to minister in the body of Christ, how the ministry of the word is to function within the body of Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and he has given us his word. And we know in Matthew 28 that uh, he told those disciples to go and make disciples, baptizing, that's affirming they're saved with an outward, uh, outward reality of what has truly happened, and then teaching them to do, as Jesus said, all that he did and said. And so the Lord Jesus has clearly related in his word how we are to minister in the body of Christ, but yet we can forget, or we can be deceived, or we may not even know. And so with that in mind, we're continuing our look in First Thessalonians chapter 2. So please turn with us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where we're going to finish our look in ministry, and we're going to finish the look at what biblical ministry looks like, where we're going to see the word and lives imparted from the right motives manifest, will manifest in right behavior unto the right goal. Uh, The word and lives manifest, right motives from the right motives will bring about the right behavior with the right goals. Now, a brief overview of the context of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we know that uh, chapter 1 reveals that Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are writing to the church at Thessalonica, the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is writing to genuine believers, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And we see in chapter 1 the tremendous reality of their conversion as the powerful gospel worked in their hearts and they turned to God from idols to serve a one and only true living God and to wait for his son who's, from, who's coming from heaven to deliver us from the wrath to come. In chapter 17 of the book of Acts, we have the, the account of their uh, salvation and their change. And Paul remained there for about three weeks until the Jews of the city became enraged concerning his teaching about Jesus, and they created a riot. Paul then fled to Berea and Athens and then on to Corinth. Now in chapters 2 and 3 of this book, having been away from the Thessalonians for a short while, less than a year, in Athens originally, Paul sent back Timothy to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith. He was concerned about where their faith was at for fear the tempter might have tempted them in the difficulties they were in. And they might even have a bad view of Paul and his companions, as we'll see. 
And then Paul went on to Corinth, and in Corinth he received back Timothy a report. And this letter is the response to that report, and it was probably written sometime in Corinth around the spring of 50 A.D. And it's important to realize that these people have only been saved for, for about a year, even maybe less than a year. And there's such theology in churches these days that you've got to dumb down everything because no one can accept it. Uh, but the reality is, if you're truly saved, you have the Spirit of God, you're able to comprehend the Word of God of sin has been set aside first, as we saw in the book of James. And so the, uh, the Apostle Paul taught them deep truths concerning their walk with Jesus Christ in the first three weeks, and he reminds them of those truths. Now, with that in mind, we come to our passage today, in which I mentioned already, we're going to see what biblical ministry looks like. So if you're not already there, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 12. Now again, as I've mentioned each week, this part is a part of a larger section of Scripture, so I'm going to read through, up through this portion, to the point of where we are at our passage in verses 10 to 12. So let's start back in the beginning, uh, not the beginning beginning, but uh, let's start back in chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain. But after we had suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And now our passage. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, as we begin to look at our passage in verses 10 through 12, you might remember that uh, as we looked at chapter 1 before, coming into chapter 2, the tenor of this book seemed to change. Indeed, in chapter 1, the Thessalonians, uh, we see the testimony of their conversion from what Paul and, and, and uh, his companions mentioned and then what they had heard from others. The tremendous reality of how they responded to the gospel with full conviction, the power of the Spirit of God, and as I mentioned before, how their work of faith, how they had turned to God to serve from idols, to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven who delivers us 
from the wrath to come. They truly were saved. You didn't have to wonder if they came to Christ. They came to Christ, and it was evident, and it was broadcast throughout. And then we came to chapter 2, where we saw the Apostle Paul begin to defend himself in regard to the manner in which he came to those Thessalonians and shared the gospel. But why would he need to defend himself? Well, obviously, Satan and his servants had infiltrated the church through false brethren like they did in Corinth. Just read 2 Corinthians. That's what a lot of the book is about, uh, especially chapter 11. And it's pretty clear that these bad guys were making accusations concerning the manner in which Paul had come to the Thessalonians, tempting them to think that Paul was a flatterer, that he was in it for the money, or he was just exalting himself. Look uh, back a little bit at verse 5. Why would he have to say this? For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. And then what we're going to see today, you are witnesses. Verse 10, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly, blamelessly we behaved towards you believers. Why would he need to share that? Well, the reality is we have an enemy who slanders, an enemy who, who tries to pull people away from Christ and thus those who are giving his word. And so the Apostle Paul is defending himself and how tragic this is. But we've seen it. And you'll see it if you're in a church long enough. Gossips and slanderers turning the hearts of true believers away from those who, who genuinely lead them to the Lord and feed them with the truth of God. We've seen that and you see it here. What did they say about Jesus? He is a gluttonous man, a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners. False accusations to turn people away. So how painful this must have been for the Apostle Paul because he loved these Thessalonians and he was concerned where they were at. Not simply for their relationship, but what their relationship meant, what God was doing through that relationship. So then Paul begins his inspired defense and uh, as we saw in the last two times in chapter 2, and we'll see today and finish, it's based on those things which were clear for everyone to see that were easily witnessed. And yet within the context of those who would sow evil distrust, suspicion, whatever it might be, he needed to remind these Thessalonians of the facts. So then what does biblical ministry look like? Now, we're going to review, first of all, the first nine verses, and I'll go through it quite quickly, but we've done two sermons on that before, so you can grab those out in the foyer if you want to catch up more in, in more detail. But I read this earlier, verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you is not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. Paul made it clear their motives for ministry. that was They were demonstrated in what they did. They didn't come in vain. Actually, were, the Thessalonians responded to the word of God. And rather than coming in vain with no, without any results or purpose, rather they spoke the word courageously in the midst of opposition. And then he explains where the motives for this came from. Verse 3, for our exhortation, we'll see that word later, keep note of that, does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. 
But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Paul shares the motives for their sharing of the word of God, the gospel, the tremendous reality that he was motivated by a stewardship of God's word within the gifting God had given him. You could see that in 1 Corinthians 4. And he had a desire to please God and not men. If you want to please men, don't serve in the body of Christ because it will trip you up. The fear of man brings a snare. Paul said, if I still wanted to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. Now, there's the tremendous temptation to do so, uh, but if you do so, you will not be able to serve the Lord. And so he says, we've been approved by God and trusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. We minister with the reality that God sees the heart, that God sees the heart. Man can't see the heart, but God sees the heart. And so that was the motive for the ministry in which the Apostle Paul brought forth the Word of God, and that should be our motives. You know, we've been entrusted, if you're a believer, with differing gifts and talents, and we should serve not as pleasing men, but God who examines the heart. And if we serve desiring to please God, it will be the best for one another because his desire is for us to love him and to love his people. And that would be the best for each other. Now, at this point, we saw the Apostle Paul continues to defend himself for the Thessalonians' benefit and ours, reminding them of his godly motives, and then what he didn't do, which you could observe. You could, what they observed that he did not do. He gives his motives and he says, underneath, above that, you saw we didn't do these things. We weren't this way. Verse 5, for we never came with flattering speech, as you know. Flattery is, is a way of speaking, of, of giving compliments to, to gain advantage on someone, to deceive someone, to, to gain the upper hand, to manipulate. He said, we never came with flattery. Flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed or a cloak for greed. We didn't come covered up uh, with for a cloak was underneath of greed. We weren't sharing the word of God with you to make a buck. God is witness. Now, obviously, this goes to the motives. They never spoke words of flattery. They never spoke the word of God as a cloak for covetousness as God is witness. They were not, like Paul would say, like the many peddling the word of God. There are people who peddle it to make a buck. We didn't do that. We didn't do that. God is witness. And then from there, he begins to say uh, specifically uh, the things that they did impart from. Not only did they impart the word of God, as we'll see, from the right motives... As he continues to defend himself, we saw a few weeks ago that he departed, he departed, he imparted his life also. Uh, look at uh, verse 6. Nor did we see glory either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. The apostle Paul didn't do ministry, he didn't share the word of God to gain man's approval or the glory of man. He didn't rob their pocketbooks and he didn't rob God of his glory. He didn't seek for men's approval, for men's approval. 
Paul didn't use his position, although he says he could have. He could have used his position as an apostle to manipulate people, to elevate himself. He didn't do that. And he says, as you know, he didn't do that. He said, we could have asserted our own authority. Yet in contrast to what they didn't do, they did the right thing. They were different. They were those who were not in it for a buck. They weren't in it to be elevating themselves. They were in it to please God and to obey Him for the benefit of those they were ministering to. Look at what they did do, what was demonstrated in their godly motives. Verse 7, But we proved, or we literally became, we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother, this is verse 7, tenderly cares for her own children. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart not only to you the gospel of God, they gave the word of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Paul and his companions gave their lives, they gave their time, their effort, their prayers, their very souls, that's the term lives, suke. They proved to be gentle like a nursing mother who was imparting warmth and nourishment And in Paul's case, he was imparting the pure milk of the word. And they did so because they loved them. They had become very dear to them. And that's what happens when believers are around believers, if they're walking in the Spirit of God. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness. The first thing, love. There is a love that God gives his people for each other, and it is manifest in obeying his word towards one another. And the Apostle Paul did so. And then notice he gives him a specific example, and this is the last portion we looked at last time. Specific example of how they loved them, how they imparted their life. Verse 9, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. He calls upon them to remember, recall, you recall how we ministered to you, how we imparted our lives. We worked night and day so as not to be a burden. Not that they didn't have a right to receive the finances. We looked in other passages, but they needed, they understood that they needed it this way and they loved them and they worked night and day to be an example, as we see in 2 Thessalonians 3, to be an example to them in the context of love. So then, concluding our review, we've seen biblical ministry of the word is not motivated by the desire to please men, but desire to please God. And it is motivated in the context of an approval and stewardship of the word of God. But it is also motivated by love, a fond affection, a genuine love that God gives us for each other. And that love is manifest and was manifest here by faithfully proclaiming the word of God and then imparting their lives day and night so as not to be a burden. And so with that in mind, we get to our passage, which concludes this minor section, although what I wanted to do today was also add verse 13, which really is kind of a a summary or moves us from what we read here, but we'll see that, Lord willing, next time. So then, I believe we'll see today in biblical ministry, uh, lives and the word is imparted from right motives, And that will be manifest in right behavior unto the right goals. Unto the right goal specifically. Again, our passage, verse 10. You are witnesses. And so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, imploring each one of you as a father with his own children. 
so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Tremendous truth for the ministry of the word of God. We need to understand this, whether you have a gifting to share and teach the Word of God. If you don't, you're going to be those who are being equipped by the Word of God. And we need to understand what God desires it to look like. Now, the structure of these verses, 10 through 12, is such. In verse 10, Paul calls upon them to witness, or the witness of the Thessalonians and God regarding their behavior. And then in verse 11, he gives a concrete example of that behavior. And then in verse 12, he concludes with the goal of what they did, the goal of that behavior towards them. So then notice, as Paul begins his concluding remarks in his defense, inspired by the Spirit, he calls upon these Thessalonians and God is witness as to their right behavior towards them. This is their walk in Jesus Christ. Verse 10, you are witnesses. And so is God. Remember, he's defending himself. How often do you come to someone and say, you're a witness to what happened, right? You're defending yourself, right? This isn't normal conversation. There are threats to the ministry. There are threats to the perception of how these Thessalonians would perceive Paul and thus the word he brought through them. And he is saying, you are witnesses. And so is God. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. You see, the bad guys will come along and say, look at what they did. They'll twist things and manipulate situations and say, look at that. They did this and this and this. They'll try to uh, bring about suspicion, whatever it might be, slander. Paul is saying, no, you are witnesses. You are witnesses. He appeals to the external witness of their behavior, of those who saw him. And he also appeals to God as witness who sees the external and the internal You are witnesses, and so is God, the God who examines the heart, right? He says, you are witnesses, and what are they witnesses to? How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. There are believers, and there are non-believers. And these are believers. They're believers in Jesus Christ, as we will say. They're the Thessalonians who came to faith. He's speaking about their behavior, which they could recognize now as believers and see it rightly. He's talking about the way they were or the way they literally became towards you, the believing ones. That's the literally how you could translate it, believing ones. Now, he's speaking of their observable conduct, how they behaved towards the Thessalonians, towards you, the believing ones. You could literally say it that way. Now, these believing ones, the Thessalonians, had responded to the fully convicting gospel. Their faith, their work of faith, had been broadcast how they turned to God from idols. I've mentioned that a few times already. And it's important to note that he is speaking to believers, you believers. Because those who don't know the Lord, listen, evildoers listen to lying lips. You believers, you know the truth. You know how he came to you. He's talking about what type of men they were. Look back at chapter 1. He says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only. I think it's verse 5. Let me see here. Come to you in word only, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know 
what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. It was demonstrated. They were men who obeyed the Lord. They shared the word of God from the right motives, and they shared their lives from the right motives. So here, what does he call upon them to witness and God to witness? Back in our passage in chapter 2, verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, how we behave towards you believers. That's what he's calling. But then he modifies that behavior, how we behave, with three adverbs. How devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. The term devoutly speaks of acting in a holy manner, in a way that is pleasing to God. It's an adverb marked by a conscious regard for divine law. It's even translated that way sometimes. It speaks of holiness based on a consciousness of God and his standards. You see, when you're aware of the God who saved you, the holy God, we sang about him earlier, holy, 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 who saved us from our wicked filth, who delivered us from that, who is cleansing us and purifying us as a people for his own possession. When you're aware of what he had to do to take care of our sin, putting his son on the cross, when you're aware of that and when you're focused on him, your behavior is going to be different. He says how devotely or devoutly we behaved among you. You are witnesses, and so is God. And notice he says, and he has another adverb here. He doesn't stop there. But he also calls upon them to remember how uprightly they behaved towards these Thessalonian believers. The verb or the adverb translated uprightly comes from a, a common Greek word, dikaios. The same word that speaks of righteousness or just, in the verb is justify, or righteous, declared righteous. It speaks of doing what is right from God's perspective. Doing what is right from God's sight. It's used extensively in Scripture to speak of God's righteousness, His character of doing that which is just and right. And folks, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, he changes us and then he begins to instruct us by his grace how to do what is right. Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God, verse 11, has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, and to live sensibly, here's our word, righteously or uprightly. In this present, he says, in this, in this present uh, age. He says, you're aware of how devoutly and how uprightly we behaved in your presence. You're aware of that. And then notice he has a third term here. How blamelessly we behave towards them. The term blamelessly speaks of being free from fault. Free from guilt. It's interesting you know, I've been looking at this passage for the last month, you know, and on our ironing board, there's this little can that says faultless. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, that reminds me of this, right? Faultless. Now, I don't know if it's faultless, truly, if you use that, but the reality here, he's speaking of being free from blame. Free from blame. Now, it's not being free from accusation. 
You look in Scripture, Paul was accused being yet regarded as deceivers, but yet not, he says, right, in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians. He's not saying free from blame, but being blameless, free from the guilt concerning anything that someone would accuse them from. Being free from fault or blame in regard to any valid accusation. Valid accusation. There was no valid accusation that these Thessalonians or God could bring against Paul and his companions in regards to the behavior in which they came and brought towards these Thessalonian believers. And sadly, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit, felt the need to defend himself and his companions in the way that they came. It's sad. But he's not upset about it, and it's to our benefit. It's to our benefit. So how about you? As you serve Christ in your home, at work, and at church, are you able to say you to others and God are witnesses, and so is God, as to how devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly we behave towards you? Could you say that? Or are you even serving the Lord? The Apostle Paul says you are witnesses. You are witnesses. And so is God to how we behaved And we did so devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly. Now at this point, he illustrates uh, a clear example of that behavior. If you look at verse 11, he says, Just as you know, he said that before, he's explaining, he's expanding upon what he's just said concerning their devout, just, and blameless behavior towards these Thessalonians. And he says, just as, and that connects what he has just said. Just as you know, there's two Greek words that speak of knowledge. This one speaks of knowledge basically gained by observation or experience. And it's an, and it's in a tense in Greek that you know, you knew it in the past, done deal, but that same knowledge affects you right now. Just as you know, you know this, you know this. And what does he say? Just as you know, and he's going to talk about their blameless behavior in ministry, in action, by the way, in action. Just as you know, and you still know it, how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. That's the blameless behavior. He's already talked about how they were gentle with them as a nursing mother. So he talked about that. And it's interesting to note when he speaks of ministry, as we'll see, of the word of God, imparting the word of God in the context of imparting their lives, he uses these three words, exhorting, encouraging, and imploring. And they all have to do with speaking. They all have to do with speaking. In the same context here, imparting the word of God on their lives. Now, the first word translated exhorting is parakaleo. In its very basic form, para means alongside. That's where we get our word parallel, right? Para, and then kaleo, to call. To call alongside. And it was used to speak of comforting. The, uh, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. We usually like that term comforter better than exhorter, don't we? But he comes alongside to comfort us. But he also comes alongside to speak to us, to, as we will see, exhort us. It speaks of comforting, encouraging, exhorting, imploring, all in the context of closeness. It could be translated and is often translated beg, urge, appeal, exhort. 
Indeed, in uh, chapter 5, verse 14, it's translated urge. And we urge you, we parakaleo you, brethren, admonish the unruly. It's translated um, exhortation earlier in this chapter. We saw this earlier in verse 3. For our exhortation, our parakaleo, did not come to you with error and impurity or by way of deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Speaking of the Word of God. Speaking of the Word of God. It speaks of coming alongside with a strong verbal appeal in the context of closeness and here with the Word of God. Paul reminds them how devout, upright, and blameless that manner they came, just as you know we were continually, habitually exhorting you in the Word of God. It's the context. Continually, habitually, strong verbal appeal of the Word of God. And then notice the second term he uses, along with this strong verbal appeal. He says, and encouraging. Interesting term. Basic meaning, it's close to the other term, but it's slightly different. Um, basic meaning, coming close to someone's side and speaking in a friendly manner. It means the comfort. The comfort. Some versions actually translate it comfort. It has the sense of rousing up someone's will concerning what they ought to do. The sense of rousing up hope for a good outcome. We see it in chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. That term faint-hearted, small-souled. Small-souled, encourage them. Come alongside and speak comfortably to them or comfortable to them. Not, I don't know, speak in a comfortable manner. The word it speaks of encouraging. Continue the course. It's addressed to your feelings more than your will, in a sense. You can do it in Christ. Don't give up. Keep pressing towards the goal. Keep your eyes on Christ. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's with the Word of God, but it's to comfort you. Don't worry about anything, but give it all to Him with prayer and supplication. He's going to protect your heart and mind in Jesus. He's going to protect it. Don't worry. It's used in chapter John chapter 11 to speak of the Jews who were comforting uh, the, uh, Mary and Martha concerning their brother Lazarus who had died. Coming close and speaking kindly, but with the word of God. So there was the exhorting, and there was the comforting and encouraging continually. Folks, we need to be urged in the word of God. We do. But we also need to be personally encouraged in the word of God at times also. We need to be comforted concerning God's faithfulness, His goodness, His kindness, His love, and His mercy. Biblical ministry is not simply a doctrine dump. It is an urging and an appeal to the will, and there is an encouraging to do what God says and to trust Him. To trust Him. And then notice the third word. Just as you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, and imploring. Interesting word. The word literally means testifying. It's translated testify, affirm, implore, insist. It is a very strong word that speaks of a solemn charge, an emphatic demand uh, to implore, to insist strongly. Just as we were exhorting you, encouraging you, and imploring you. Don't give in to your flesh. Don't give Satan a place. Trust the Lord. Do the right thing. I implore you not to give in to those things. 
It's important to note that these are all in the present tense, which stresses a continual action. You know how we came devoutly, uprightly, and, he says, within that, coming to them, how we were encouraging you, how we were encouraging you, exhorting and imploring. Within this notice, all three together, verse 11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring, notice what he says, each one of you. It speaks of everybody. It wasn't a select clique of people that Paul ministered to. He ministered to everyone. He implored, he, encur- he exhorted, he encouraged, and he implored everyone with the word of God. You know how upright, or how devout, upright, and blamelessly we behaved among you, just as we did this continually, habitually. You see, upright, devout, blameless ministry exhorts, it comforts, it implores with the word of God, with the word of God. And you might remember, notice, notice what he says, just as each one of you, end of verse 11, as a father would his own children. Now indeed, you might remember verse 7 where Paul uses the metaphor of a, of a nursing mother gently caring, feeding her babe to describe how they would behave. But here he says, as a father, as a father would his own children. Now that's implying that's a good father, by the way. Gentle, both, well, both aspects of spiritual parenting are needed, needed. Gentle, tender, motherly feeding and caring, along with continual fatherly exhortation, encouragement, and insistent imploring. So speaking the truth in love. And within this family illustration, it reveals much about how the Apostle Paul cared for these Thessalonian believers. It does. Remember verse 8, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives, because you became very dear to us. The Apostle Paul and his companions manifest the love of God in the way they came alongside these Thessalonians. They did so like a father with his very own children. Now on a side note, looking simply at this illustration alone, some of you fathers may have not been like this with your children. You may be imploring them and with the word of God, exhorting them, but you're not encouraging them too. You're not comforting them in Christ. Maybe you're not, maybe not solemnly testifying. We see all these three things in the context of gentleness. Yes, they need exhortation and urging. Yes, they need a solemn charge at times, but they also need gracious comfort and encouragement, little souls to press on, right? To press on, to trust the Lord. The Apostle Paul and his companions manifest for all to see behavior that was devout, upright, and blameless as they shared the word of God, exhorting, comforting, testifying to each one just as a father would do so with his own children. That's what ministry looks like. Now, some of you may have come alongside others with the Word of God, but you have not been balanced. The same goes for our children, as I mentioned. They were upright in the way they came along, and we see all three of these things. Now, notice 
the way they came to them, their manner in which they came to them was unto the right goal. There are right goals and there are wrong goals. Verse 10, you are witnesses and so is God, how devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly we behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, imploring each one of you as a father with his own children, and here's the goal, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Tremendous statement. Here is why the Apostle Paul was obeying the Lord in exhorting and comforting and encouraging and solemnly testifying. Here is why he was doing it. Here is the goal that they were doing it for. So that you may walk in a manner worthy. And he's going to explain. He could say just of God, but he explains some characteristics of him. Of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The term walk uh, speaks of uh, your life. Walk, peripateo, means to walk around. It speaks of your life. Your life. Your day-to-day choices, your day-to-day actions, your day-to-day thoughts. Enoch walked with the Lord and the Lord took him, right? It was by faith. And so it speaks of your day-to-day, moment-by-moment conduct. It's your life. And Paul says that you might, so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into these things. What does he mean by that? The term worthy in the Greek axios speaks of bringing up the balance of the scales to make it equivalent. Here is what God expects in his holiness. Here is what he wants us to do to be there. That's pretty, pretty amazing, isn't it? To walk worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It's an amazing statement. The goal of our, the goal of God's word working in our lives is so that we will walk in a worthy manner. Worthy of the God who calls us into his own glory and kingdom. Worthy or equivalent. Amazing statement. Behavior consistent with the very character of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. That's the goal. Now he doesn't say we are to be worthy. He doesn't say, make yourselves worthy. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Filled with the knowledge of his will. That's the word of God. He says, so that what? You may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. When God's will fills our hearts in the context of his wisdom, we then understand what he desires for us. And we understand what he desires, but we understand how it's accomplished through trusting and abiding and obeying him. He says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And that's what he says, to please him in all respects, Then he talks about what this worthy walk looks like. Bearing fruit in every good work, and apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, right? Uh, Increasing in the knowledge of God, I'm growing in my understanding of him through the word. Strengthened with all power, that's his power, according to his glorious might. For the attaining of steadfastness and patience, just to be able to endure through. Joyously, there's joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. 
having an understanding of the will of God through the word of God and all spiritual wisdom, uh, as we apply that by faith, God uses that to enable us to walk worthily, to walk according to his standard. And it's impossible to please him apart from trusting in his son Jesus. He says to please him in all respects. Well, what pleases God? John or Matthew 17, 5, I'll read it for you. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Behold, the voice of the cloud came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, speaking of Jesus, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. God is pleased with Jesus. He's not pleased with us unless we trust Jesus. And then he's pleased with us. He's pleased when we abide in Christ and his word is in us. When we allow the word of Christ by the spirit of God to change our minds about our circumstances, situations, and everything else. It is impossible apart from faith to please God. He was 11.6. So then, as the word of Christ dwells richly in us, we're controlled by the full knowledge of his will. We've set aside sin. We saw that back in James. You could sit here all day long and hear the word, but if you don't set aside sin, you're going to be a forgetful here. You're going to forget what kind of person you are. You're going to walk out, and it's all gone. But if you receive the word and allow it to work in your heart, you're going to be changed. And that's the goal, to walk worthily. To walk worthily in how you treat your spouse. To walk worthily in how you raise your kids. To walk worthily at work. To walk worthily out in the world. To walk worthily as we look towards the glory that's coming for us. We're not there yet, but that's the goal. That's the goal. And we're to press on and not look back. So then, he says here, you are witnesses and so is God. Back in our passage. How devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly we behave towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting, encouraging, imploring each one of you as a father with his own children, so that you may walk worthy of the God who calls you into his glory, his own kingdom and glory. That's the goal. Notice how he describes God. The God who calls you, these are believers, calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see, we were in the domain of darkness and we were transferred in the kingdom of his beloved son, but there's more to that. There's more to it. Turn just up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, or chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 13. Paul speaks to these same Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 13 of 2 Thessalonians. But we should always give thanks to God for you, beloved brethren, by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And notice what he says. And it was for this he called you through our gospel so that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. He called you through the gospel. He called you through the gospel. You see, the gospel is the good news concerning Jesus Christ, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. The gospel is the good news, and we were all called by his grace, Galatians 1.6. Peter would say, like the Holy One who called you, 1 Peter 1.15. In chapter 2, verse 9 of 1 Peter, we were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
We have a heavenly and a holy calling, Hebrews 3.1 and 1 Timothy 1.9. And it's through God who is faithful, who called us into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, 1 Corinthians 1.9. 1 Corinthians 1.9. There's so many other verses about how God called us out of our sinful life to salvation in Jesus Christ unto glory. Tremendous. That's what happened when you got saved. God summoned us into a relationship through the gospel by his grace with Jesus Christ concerning what he's done on the cross. And the goal of that calling is to be holy and blameless. We see that in Ephesians 1.3. Turn to Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. That's worthy of the calling, by the way. Turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Colossians 1.21, And though, although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. That's the goal. Jesus called us out of sin and death to eternal life. He called us unto holiness. We sang that earlier, holy, holy, holy. He called us unto his righteousness, which practically speaking is being conformed to the image of his son. And we know that God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And because of this great calling, we are to walk in a manner worthy of it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, I, Paul, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. And he talks about it with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This is the goal, the worthy walk, a walk that encompasses the entire sphere of our life, That's where God is taking us as he is using his word to make us more like Christ. The God who calls you, present tense, into his kingdom and glory. Well, I thought I was already in the kingdom. Well, we're not there totally yet, by the way. Yes, we've been delivered into the kingdom of his beloved son, but we're not in the kingdom yet. We'll be there. We'll see certainly there is the millennial kingdom, which we will be in, but also there is the eternal kingdom. We're not glorified yet. He calls us into that. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. And then notice he says his own glory. We've been called unto glory. Unto glory. First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. You've been called to eternal glory. So we're to walk man. So the word, God uses the word brought forth to bring us to that goal. To bring us to the goal of walking worthily unto that final reality. 
There's a day in which there'll be no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death. We'll be glorified and we'll spend a glorious eternity with the living God. God will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory, Philippians 3.21. So then we look at the things, so then we don't lose heart. Though the outer man is decaying, hey, our bodies are going going down, right? They're not redeemed yet. Don't, don't put your hope in that. It's just going to get worse. I'll tell you that right now as I get older. But we're going to be glorified. He says, though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day, 2 Corinthians 4.16. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory all beyond, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. We're on our way to glory. And so in our passage, the Apostle Paul ministered, exhorting, urging with the word, comforting with the word, solemnly testifying with the word, like a loving father with his own children, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We're headed for glory. We're headed for glory. And that's the goal, is walking worthily on the way, that we would be presented holy and blameless. This is ministry that is done right. This is the way ministry should be done, as we've looked at the Apostle Paul defending the way they brought forth the Word of God. Are you allowing God's Word to work in your heart in regards to work, abiding in Christ, so that you will walk in a worthy manner? Are you allowing God's Word to work in your heart concerning your home and your relationships, your spouse, your children, your parents, abiding in Christ? so that you will walk in a worthy manner? Are you allowing God's word to work in your heart concerning how you should be serving and loving those in the body of Christ, abiding in him, so that you'll walk in a manner worthy? Are you allowing God's work to word to work in your heart concerning how you trust and abide in Jesus, confessing sin, so that you will walk in a worthy manner? That's the goal for each and every one of us, and we are pressing on to glory as God uses his word to work in our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the example you brought forth in the Apostle Paul, uh, a sinner saved by your grace just like us. And Father, I thank you that we don't have to do it. We can't be worthy. We can't walk in a worthy manner, but when we trust you, when we allow your word to change us, we then are able to walk in a manner in which you've called us to walk. Lord, help us to be sensitive to sin, turning from evil, confessing, and walking in that manner in which you desire. Help us to allow your word to work in our hearts to address every area so that you'd be glorified. Thank you that you have called us unto your kingdom and glory, the eternal glory in Christ Jesus. I pray this in his precious name.